Good morning, saints. We are in our in our study in uh, Revelation. We are in chapter thirteen, and we will be looking at um, the first ten verses. And so, if we could uh, open our Bibles and begin, um, <clears throat> I'm sorry I can't be with you personally. Uh, we had some emergencies this week, uh, this past week. My father was rushed to the ER, and we made a trip up to Vancouver to be with him. He's back home, thankfully, and uh, it seems to be doing well. Um, we are out in Kansas right now. My daughter, Sharon, and uh, Will uh, lost their baby this uh, past week, and uh, we wanted to be with them as well. So I'm um, glad to be with you by Zoom. <clears throat> Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 13. And I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and uh, then we'll get into the chapter itself. Revelation 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw uh, one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and, this, and his uh, deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who? is like the beast, who is able to make war with him. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And so this morning we are going to be studying uh, this section of chapter 13, the beast out of the sea. In chapter 13, we are introduced to two beasts. The first one is the beast rising up out of the sea. And the second one in verses 11 through 18 is the beast coming out of the earth. And so today we're going to look at the first one, the beast out of the sea. And so let's just take, we're going to take a look at this uh, chapter um, verse by verse. And so let's start in verse one. It says in the King James, then I stood on the sand of the sea as if John is standing on the, the sands of the sea. But probably it's more accurate uh, to say then he, referring to Satan, stood on the sand of the sea. And John says, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Revelation 13 describes a worldwide empire 
that will rise to power in the last days. And it is pictured as a grotesque beast with seven heads and ten crowned horns. So I want to review what we've already studied and what we already know about this beast. In uh, Revelation 13, 2, the beast out of the sea. Uh, Luke, I'm not sure if the pictures are lining up there. The beast, I'll, I'll keep going. The beast out of the sea um, is described as having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns, ten crowns. And so we want to make sure we understand this. First of all, the beast represents a worldwide Gentile empire. And this is the final Gentile kingdom, the revived Roman Empire. If we could go to the next slide, it also represents the ruler of the empire. And so as you read this, it, John is not only describing the empire, but he's also describing at the same time the ruler of the revived Roman Empire. And the ruler is the Antichrist. It also represents the satanic possession of the Antichrist and Satan's control of the revived Roman Empire. They are possessed and empowered by Satan. It is a diabolical beast. Now, if you remember last week in chapter 12, Satan is described in the same way as the beast is described in chapter 13. And so uh, John says it has seven heads, and these heads represent seven successive world empires. It started with Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the revived Roman Empire, uh, which is the, the one that we're studying this morning. Now, just as an aside, you should know that there is actually an eighth empire which will come out of the seventh. And this is the Antichrist's dictatorship in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And you find that in Revelation chapter 17, uh, verse 11. And we'll get into that once we get to that chapter. Uh, the beast has 10 horns with 10 crowns. And these horns and crowns represent the 10 kings who are the initial rulers of the revived Roman Empire. The Antichrist will usurp three of the kings. That's found in Daniel 7, verses 8 and 24. And then finally, he will persuade the other seven to give him their power uh, so that he reigns as an absolute monarch and, 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 and as, a, as a dictator. It says in this passage in chapter 13, on his heads, a blasphemous name. When we read the description of the Antichrist, both in Revelation and in the book of Daniel, we find that he is a blasphemous world ruler. He blasphemes God. He is called Antichrist, anti-Christ, against Christ. And he is a usurper taking the place of Christ. He is a pompous, arrogant, self-seeking dictator. 
and his empire is the final Gentile kingdom that will rule the world right before the Lord Jesus comes to set up his millennial kingdom on earth. Jesus prophesied in Luke chapter 21, 44, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The final kingdom will be the revived Roman Empire, and the ruler will be the Antichrist, and he will be possessed by Satan. And so he is evil incarnate. The final phase of the Antichrist's rule is a reign of terror for three and a half years, and Satan will give the Antichrist power, signs, and lying wonders. His kingdom will be filled with unrighteous deception and blasphemy against the Most High God. But saints, do not fear what you're hearing. Do not fear what you're reading. You will not be on earth at this time. And, and Satan and his Antichrist will not prevail. When the Lord Jesus returns to set up his kingdom on earth, the uh, Second Thessalonians tells us the Lord will consume the Antichrist, the lawless one, with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. He will be defeated and he will be cast alive into the lake of fire. In Revelation 13, John saw a beast rising up out of the sea. And this description should remind us of Daniel's prophecies in chapters 2 and 7. Daniel's prophecy is really the key to understanding Revelation chapter 13. And in uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 28, we read that prophecy. Uh, Daniel prophesied that four world empires would rise up like beasts out of the sea. In uh, chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, he says, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. And so as he describes these four great beasts that came out of the sea, the sea represents the Gentile nations and four great Gentile world empires that would rule over and crush Israel. And so Daniel actually interprets this vision in chapter uh, 7, verse 17. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. And so the great world empires are inseparable from the kings or from the rulers of the empires. It says that the, the um, beasts come out of the sea, that is, they come out of the Gentile nations, but the rulers are out of the earth. And this suggests that they are like many people who are living in the last days, earth dwellers. Their entire focus is on earth, on earthly gain, nothing to do with the eternal. And the four great beasts uh, that Daniel then prophesies about are uh, these four. First of all, there's Babylon. And you rem might remember that King Nebuchadnezzar was the head or the king of Babylon. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 verse 4 describes the first beast that looked like a lion and had eagle's wings. 
The second kingdom was the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus the Great was the king or the ruler of that kingdom. Daniel chapter 7 says this kingdom or this kingdom is described as a bear with three ribs in his mouth devouring much flesh. It was an evil uh, overbearing um, kingdom. The third one that came from uh, next was the Greek Empire, um, and it was headed by Alexander the Great. In Daniel 7, 6, and 17, it says the third empire is described as a leopard with four wings and four heads. The fourth empire is the Roman Empire, ruled by emperors or Caesars. And we find again in chapter 7, uh, Daniel describes this uh, kingdom as being a dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth and it was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. But then Daniel sees something very strange in his vision. The fourth beast is unlike any beast that preceded it. In this prophecy, Daniel sees the Roman Empire that ruled at the time of Christ's first coming. That was future for Daniel. But the strange thing is that another empire grows out of that empire. Daniel sees 10 horns representing the revived Roman Empire that is still to come and that, that will exist at Christ's second coming and will find its roots in the Roman Empire. And so the fifth kingdom that we're looking at this morning is the revived Roman Empire. In Daniel 7, verse 8, it says, it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had 10 horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. The ten horns represent the rulers of ten nations that consolidate and make up the revived Roman Empire. And we learn from Revelation, I'm sorry, from Daniel 7 and also Daniel 2 that it's a mixed group of nations. Some are weak, some are strong. They don't really um, mix well, but they to serve their purposes, they come together as this revived Roman Empire. The little horn that Daniel describes is the Antichrist. And it appears from this prophecy, he initially seems to have just a little power. But he rises quickly among the other ten horns, the other ten rulers, and soon he overthrows or usurps three of the kings. Ultimately, we read in chapter in Revelation 17 that the, the other seven rulers will give the Antichrist their power and pledge their allegiance to the Antichrist as the supreme ruler over all. And Daniel, as he saw this, he was troubled by what he saw, and he was especially curious about the revived Roman Empire, and so are we. And so this brings us back to Revelation chapter 13. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. Chapter 13, starting with verse 1 again. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, 
and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now listen carefully to this. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Now if you remember, we just looked at the pictures um, of those beasts that came out of the sea in Daniel's prophecy, and there was a lion. There was a bear, there was a leopard. And so this last kingdom, although it is a revived Roman empire coming out of the the Roman uh, government, it has um, characteristics or it incorporates characteristics of all four of the empires that preceded it. The power, the ruler, uh, the rulership and authority were given to the beast by Satan. It says the dragon, and if you remember last week, we we saw that the dragon is Satan. Uh, We are told that the dragon is that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. And he is the one who gives the Antichrist his power and authority and his kingdom. And so I want to look just for a minute at the power of Satan over the beast and the Antichrist. And so we have a a chart um, that shows on the top left corner that Satan is described in chapter 12, verse 3, as having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. The beast in the chapter we're looking at this morning uh, is described as having seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns. The Antichrist also referred to in this chapter, seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns. You say, well, they're almost the same. Why is Satan different? Why is it only seven crowns and not ten? And so let's just take a look at that. It says in chapter 12, verse 3, that Satan is described as a great, fiery, red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. The beast in chapter 13 is described as having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns, ten crowns. And so, and then the Antichrist is described the same way as the, as the beast. Daniel's prophecy tells us that there were ten horns on its heads, and the other horn which came up before which three fell. So in other words, the Antichrist usurps the authority of three of those kings, three of those who are crowned, and he takes over uh, their position. And so both actually fit with the prophecies that we're talking about. Initially, there are 10, but shortly after he takes uh, prominence, there are seven, and then finally, the seven submit to him as well. And it says the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. The Antichrist, um, after, as I say, usurping the authority of three kings, and he removes them all together. They don't come back. They don't uh, exist anymore after he usurps their authority. So the main point here is that what is said of the revived Roman Empire is said of the Antichrist. And what is said of the Antichrist is also said of Satan. Therefore, we believe that the Antichrist is the supreme ruler 
of the revived Roman Empire and that Satan himself possesses him. And they are so closely linked that they look the same. They have the same characteristics. And that is the point of what John is saying here. Now, we want to turn our attention to what I call the great deception. And in chapter uh, 13, verse 3, let's just read it. And I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded. And And notice, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon, that's Satan, who gave authority to the beast, that's the Antichrist, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And Satan's purpose not just when Jesus was on earth, but has continued to be right from the beginning of mankind, is to lie and to deceive and to bring people with him to hell. He is trying his hardest to prevent people from believing the truth and being saved. This is his tactic today as well. You remember Jesus told the story of the the story of the uh, sower who went out to sow the field. And some of the seed fell on hard soil, and immediately the birds plucked up the seed and ate it, and it was no good. It it never uh, bore fruit. And he says, as an interpretation of that passage, that that's Satan. Satan is like the birds coming and snatching the fruit or the seed of the gospel so that it doesn't take root in a person's heart and life. And so as we go out into the world in our day-to-day life and we sow the seed of the gospel, we talk to uh, about Christ to our friends, our family, our co-workers, neighbors, and Satan comes along and he snatches up the seed so that it never takes root and people are lost for all eternity. Satan deceives people. He distracts people. He turns them away from Christ so that they never stop and consider where they are going when they die. And I want to ask you this morning, where will you spend eternity? In heaven with the Lord or in hell forever, separated from the Lord? Don't let Satan snatch the seed of the gospel from your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Well, the great deception is seen in... um, Uh, Verse 3, it appears that someone will try to murder the Antichrist. It says that he is mortally wounded. And uh, it says actually as if it had been mortally wounded. And so there's a deception there. It seems like he was wounded mortally, meaning that he died. It seems like it was a deadly wound. He died, but it's faked. It seems that his death will be faked so that it appears that he dies and rises from the dead. And people will marvel at this miracle and they will follow him and worship him. But by so doing, they are really ultimately worshiping Satan. So I want to turn to um, a passage in 2 Thessalonians for just a minute. 
Second Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12, it says the coming of the lawless one, that's referring to the Antichrist, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In the tribulation, people refuse to believe the truth. If you remember in our uh, studies from some weeks ago when we were looking through the the um, uh, seal judgments and looking at the trumpet judgments, we often heard the phrase or, or the wording something like this, and they did not believe in God. In other words, they hardened their heart in the midst of all their suffering. Rather than turning to God, they hardened their heart and they would not believe in the Lord. You know, oftentimes the Lord allows people to go through trials in life, tr uh, troubles, things to get them to stop and think. And he's doing that in the tribulation. But most of the people do not believe, and they are deceived by Satan. They're, uh, in the uh, tribulation, people refuse to believe the truth. They will not repent of their sins. And when people do not believe the truth, God grants them their choice, and they believe the lie. This is the great deception. Now, back to Revelation chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, we see that Satan uh, is a liar. He's a blasphemer, but he motivates, he possesses the Antichrist to be a liar like him and a blasphemer like him. And he was now talking about the Antichrist. He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Blasphemy is a verbal insult against God. It is the intentional um, contempt for God. And people around us do this every day. People take the name of God in vain, and they don't even think about it. They use his name as a curse word. I even hear Christians say, oh, my God. And they don't mean that in, like the psalmist does, oh, my God, I trust in thee. They're actually cursing when they say that. They're using his name in a flippant or useless way. Movies, television are filled with cursing God, taking the name of Jesus as a swear word. But you never hear them cursing false gods, do you? The world, the world has no respect for God. Blasphemy is on the lips of most people today in our society. But that should not be true of Christians who worship him. In Exodus 27, uh, in the law, we read, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name 
in vain. Daniel tells us that the Antichrist will speak pompous words against the Most High. And for three and a half years, he will blaspheme God's name. He will blaspheme his tabernacle, that is the dwelling place of God in heaven, and those who dwell in heaven, the angels and the saints. And we see that in uh, Revelation 13, 6. Not only is he a liar and a blasphemer, but we learn in uh, verses 7 and 8 that he is a murderer and a dictator. It was granted to him, again, we're talking about the Antichrist, it was granted to him to make, uh, to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So as I mentioned earlier, the, the Antichrist usurps three kings, and then the other seven kings give him their power and authority, and then they submit to him. And as a result of that, he becomes a world dictator. He dominates um, the entire world with authority over every tribe and tongue and nation. And when he takes control, and we're going to see this in uh, future studies, when he takes controls, he will destroy all other forms of religion. He will take over worship in the temple of God. He will set up his idol or his own image in the temple to be worshipped, and he will declare himself to be God. He will demand to be worshipped as God, and those who refuse will be executed. The Bible tells us here in Revelation 13 that God permits him to make war with the saints and overcome them. There will be an unprecedented number of martyrs when the Antichrist takes power. Revelation 7-9 tells of a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. These are the martyrs from the butchery of the Antichrist. In, in uh, Revelation 20, verse 4, we read that these faithful saints who were martyred were beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God because they had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. The Antichrist will control the religion of the world, as well as politics and commerce. No one can buy or sell without receiving the mark of the beast, and all the world turns to him and worships him as God, except for those whose names are written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Did you know about the book of life? Those who trust, who will trust in the uh, tribulation, and those who have trusted, even now, in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who has taken away their sin, have their names in the book of life. How do you know uh, if your name is in the book of life? It's very simple, by believing the gospel message today. And what is the gospel message? It's that Jesus died on the cross as your substitute. He took your sins penalty by dying on the cross and shedding his blood for you. 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When the Lord Jesus returns, there will come a day when he will open the book of life, and every man, woman, and child who has not believed in him will be judged by what is found in the book of life. And it says in Revelation 20, and anyone not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written in the book of life? Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today for your salvation, and your name will be found in the book of life. Tomorrow may be too late. Next, we find in a passage in 2 Thessalonians 2, um, we read in chapter 2, verse 4, that um, the Antichrist proclaims that he is God. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the very definition of blasphemy, and God will hold him accountable for his profanity. Well, we come to verses 9 and 10, and um, I've titled this, Be Patient and Believe to the End. In Revelation 13, um, 9 and 10, it says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Those whose names are written in the book of life are told to listen carefully to this vital message. Believers during the tribulation period will face severe persecution and martyrdom. The Spirit of God is urging them to listen. Some of them will be taken into captivity. They are not to resist. Some will be killed by the sword. They are not to retaliate and take up arms against their accusers. Instead, they are to trust God to the end, no matter what persecution they face, what sorrow fills their heart, or how much they are called to suffer. They are to trust God for there is an end to the Antichrist and his kingdom. Jesus is coming again. And I want to speak to us as an application. Most of what we have read this morning has to do with the future. We're not going to be involved in it. We're not going to be here for it. But what can we apply from this passage to our lives today in 2024? Well, if we suffer in this life, the Bible tells us that we also must suffer patiently. We must live patiently, trusting in the Lord. In um, 1 Peter 1, we read, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. 
Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What if we're persecuted? What if we're troubled um, in this life? What if we speak up for the Lord and we're blasphemed by the world? Peter also says in 1 Peter 2, 20, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. If you're going through a trial this morning, if you've suffered for the sake of Christ and and have been blasphemed for naming the name of Christ in a good way as you try to reach your friends and family for the Lord, remember what the Lord says through Peter in this passage, and commit yourself to him who judges righteously. I want to tell you, saints, many are the afflictions of the saints, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth of your word. We thank you that when you tell us what is coming, we know that it is sure, it is true, it is right. We know that the world is yet to face a terrible time, the great tribulation, a time when this Antichrist rises to power and um, and makes out to be you. He sits in your place as if he is God. Lord, what blasphemy uh, comes from his lips, what blasphemy comes from his life. And Lord, we pray uh, that no no one here that is hearing uh, this message today will be part of that and will indeed repent today and trust you as Lord and Savior. Lord, for those who are going through trials of, of life, those who are suffering right now uh, for the name of Christ and for his cause, we pray that you would give them hope and encouragement and that they will learn to take patiently the things that are thrown at them and that they will uh, suffer for your sake and commit themselves afresh to you today, Lord, because we know that you judge righteously. We thank you for your word, Lord. We pray your blessing on this week that we might live it out for you in Jesus' name. Amen.